We used to think the earth was flat, like a piece of paper. And then we found out it was round, but we still only knew about half of the globe, the old world we called it. Then when Europeans discovered the new world, they thought of it as a second earth and mapped it side by side with the old world. The way we view the world changes the way we manage it. It also changes the way, the way that we view ourselves and understand our capabilities and our constraints. The flat earth had edges for us to fear falling off of. The old world had limits for us to run up against, and the new world had excess for us to explore and exploit. Our changing view of the world changes our behavior, and an incomplete view of the world can lead to harmful human behavior. The same concept applies to how we view our food-growing landscapes. When you picture a crop field, you might imagine a sea of wheat stretching off into the horizon. Some might say this is simply a landscape for food production, but like the old world map, that is only half of the picture. Today, in 2021, in the face of declining biodiversity and growing human populations to feed, we need to envision something new for agriculture. I study islands of wild, uncropped land in the middle of wheat fields. These small patches of unfarmed land can be viewed as wild, disappearing places in need of conserving. Like the new world on the map, they offer us an opportunity to expand our view and change our behavior. A new map where we incorporate wild spaces into our view of agriculture is like adding the new world to the old world map. Viewing the landscape as a whole for the food production value and the biological wealth it contains, rather than just half of it, will help us manage it differently. This is why I study agroecology. This is a view that incorporates both food production and species conservation in the same place. The world we live in needs both. Agriculture and conservation do not need to be seen as separate worlds. Agriculture and conservation are two crucial parts of the same world. But it's important for us to ask, what has blinded us from seeing the whole picture before? And this question leads us to our current dilemma. Here's the situation. Stakes are high and time is limited. We're behind the wheel of a car and we need to get our, to our destination as quickly as possible. So we start driving quickly, but the more we speed, the more likely we are to crash. This is the safety productivity trade-off and it's happening to our global food supply. Here's the time crunch. We're speeding because our population is growing rapidly. By 2050, we will need to produce 60 to 110% more food to feed our families. But the faster we drive, the more reckless we become. As we speed towards higher food production, we're dumping on more fertilizers, spraying more pesticides, and clear-cutting more forests. These desperate attempts will produce more food, but at what cost to the natural world? As we speed forward, biodiversity is declining. Forests are disappearing. Aquifers are drying up. Agriculture is partially responsible for this. Some refer to food producing areas as ecological sacrifice zones, where everything in our path becomes roadkill. We need to consider a safety productivity trade-off, increase conservation efforts, and produce food less rapidly. Optimistically, some scientific studies state that we can optimize this trade-off by creating food production systems that benefit the environment and still maintain crop yields. If we keep speeding forward, completely focused on agricultural production, 
It's like driving forward recklessly with half of the map. We are likely to crash and fail. Our best option is to learn to slow down, see the full picture, and manage agricultural landscapes for production and conservation. So what will it take for us to change the way we do agriculture? The good news is that incorporating conservation into agriculture is becoming more and more common. Rather than seeing agriculture and conservation as separate worlds, it is possible that they cooperate rather than compete for space in our world. Imagine with me, you're a farmer. You're looking for some hardworking farmhands, and this summer you get some non-human applicants. You would have never considered them for the job before, but they actually live on your farm already. If the beetle had a resume, it would say, lifetime of experience decomposing soil organic matter. The butterflies would read, certified expert in pollination. The wildflower, excellent recruiter of beneficial insects to farm work. The earthworm, expertise in soil mixing and fertilizing. So of course, these applicants cannot keep the farm running on their own. You'll have to have some human help too, but you realize this variety of plant, insect, animal life called biodiversity has been working on your farm for a long time. They're like essential workers who are keeping everything together, doing odd jobs, going unnoticed. The only thing biodiversity is asking for is just room and board, perhaps just a patch of habitat on your farm in exchange for their essential work. In my research, we study agricultural fields in Montana that have uncropped patches in them. These islands of wild plants serve as a refuge for wild insects and animals, which is why we call them ecological refugia. We go to farms, we use all sorts of nerdy sampling equipment to try and catch some bugs, count some plants, trap some mammals, and see what kind of diversity is in the refugia and how that influences the crop fields around them. We want to know where the essential workers can live in the field and that how that affects other features of the farm, such as weeds and crop yields. We've found that native plants tend to be concentrated in and around the refugia, which is a great thing for farmers because native plants provide habitat for essential workers like butterflies that provide helpful services like pollinating crops. On the flip side, we found that undesirable non-native plants or weeds were more likely to grow in the crop field and less so in the refugia, meaning that contrary to some farmers' fears, refugia are not sources of harmful weeds on their farms. As for insects, we found that fields with refugia were more likely to host insects such as pollinators and beetles that are beneficial to crops, whereas fields that didn't have a refugia had more insect pests like aphids and grasshoppers that can damage crops. So as a farmer, you can see that having refugia on your farm would allow you to host more biodiversity in your fields and allow you to benefit from some of the services provided by nature's essential workers. But of course, you have to consider potential disservices that may come with more hosting biodiversity on your farm. If there are too many workers, they could get so hungry they eat all your crops, or they could bring other harmful family members with them that introduce new pests to your farm. This is where agroecology comes in. It attempts to apply concepts from ecology to manage agricultural landscapes. So we can understand what services biodiversity provides, then we can maximize the beneficial ones and minimize the harmful ones on our farms. As I mentioned, agricultural views are changing. 
For example, the 2018 Farm Bill offers to pay farmers for including habitat in their fields. They also have a program for pollinator-friendly plants and all sorts of conservation reserve programs. This means it can now be profitable for farmers to conserve their land and not just to produce on it. Further explorations in my work use precision agriculture technology, which basically uses a bunch of data to grow food more efficiently. Scientists are transferring this technology to create the field of precision conservation, where we use spatial analysis and yield data to find the best pieces of land on a farm to take out of production, reduce the amount of time and money farmers spend on unprofitable growing areas, and simultaneously increase habitat and wild species in farmed landscapes. Farmers compare their decisions to gambling or betting, making the best decisions they can with a limited amount of information. And hopefully, by including this other half of view, we can make farmers better gamblers. So by viewing biodiversity as essential workers and crop fields as potential habitat, hopefully we can shift our perception to see that agriculture and conservation are not two separate worlds, but coexisting parts of one world. Though we traditionally viewed them as separate, they complement each other. By merging them, we can help, we can have a more accurate view of the natural world. Maps have taught us that historically, humanity doesn't always see the whole picture, but that discoveries in science can expand this picture and help our understanding. Changing our perception of agriculture from a simple wheat field to a complex landscape that relies on biodiversity will change how we see the relationship between wild species, spaces, and farms and how we value and manage them. Our corrected view will help us face the challenge of a growing population, declining biodiversity, and increasing needs for food production. Perhaps this new agroecological view will create a new way of farming, a new way of conserving, and a new way of thinking about our future.